What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner, and today is Monday. Happy Monday out there for uh, all you tuning in to uh, the show. On Mondays, I put out my free weekly newsletter. You guys can sign up for that by going to bitcoinandmarkets.com. And then on Monday, what I do is I go through the newsletter here on the live stream and share it with everybody. So what you're seeing here on the screen is bitcoinandmarkets.com. You'll get notified of all the content I drop. I don't do any spam or anything like that. Um, that includes podcast versions of these live streams, as well as my weekly newsletters. And then for members, you can get uh, early access to my blog posts. And for the professional tier, you get a Market Pro newsletter once a week. Last week, uh, I delayed putting out another Market Pro because of the price action has been just so flat. I was waiting for something to develop. Uh, it might have developed here. I plan to put out that market pro here in the next day or two as the hurricane is hitting us here in Florida, but we will see how that goes. Um, as you can see, the latest issue of the fundamentals report here is 254. Let me just make sure I'm going out and not muted on any of my channels. Telegram, what's going on guys? I am getting started a few minutes earlier than scheduled uh, on Telegram. I put out the schedule about, I don't know, 30 minutes before I start uh, live streaming. I am a few minutes early, so hopefully some people will trickle in here. But okay, so fundamentals report number 254. This is one of the oldest free weekly newsletters that's still going in Bitcoin. And uh, we cover everything from macro to uh, of course, Bitcoin headlines, Bitcoin price, the mining sector uh, with mempool and hash rate and all of that stuff and, and headlines and mining. And the most recent stuff I've added here in the last six months to a year is more lightning oriented layer two stuff, because I think that rounds out uh, coverage on the Bitcoin space. This is Bitcoin only content. Um, I am very much a Bitcoin maximalist. Uh, but I think I have unique views uh, in the Bitcoin Maximal School. I'm more I'm in the deflation camp versus being an inflationista where you see inflation everywhere, money printing everywhere, yet all of your predictions fail. And it's very simple switch over to changing your assumptions, looking at this as a the end of a long-term credit cycle where the end is going to be deflation, deglobalization, and now recently um, demographic collapse. Uh, and in that that type of atmosphere, you're going to get a return to uh, trusted sound money, which Bitcoin is the choice of the future. So that is Bitcoin's narrative, not the inflationista narrative. And that's what you get here on Bitcoin and markets uh, with deep dive uh, into macro and into Bitcoin each week. Okay, so fundamentals report 254. Hal Finney, uh, he is number two Bitcoiner behind Satoshi. and uh, this was the anniversary, I believe it was today, of his last ever post uh, before he passed away several years back. Great, great individual, great human uh, from what I understand. And I even named my denomination, my Bitcoin denomination after him. And you guys will see that in a minute. Okay, so in on the fundamentals report, we have jumped to the section. If you're just interested to see what I say about lightning or about price, you can jump to those. Uh, but this is a holistic newsletter. I believe it's the most holistic newsletter with the most unique perspective in Bitcoin. Um, okay, snapshot first. So 
Volatility is dead again. That is the weekly trend. We'll go over price charts here in a second. Media sentiment is positive. Um, again, this is not scientific. I've thought about maybe doing some sort of uh, formula that could base it in some sort of scientific measurement of media sentiment. Uh, we could put in there um, the fear and greed index. I've thought about doing that in the past. Maybe I will add that to the snapshot. Uh, but media sentiment is just how I interpret uh, the the sentiment around Bitcoin in the media. And I kind of debated whether to make it uh, neutral this week or positive because I do feel like the price is just weighing on all of the the sentiment in the space. E even holder sentiment, you know, new uh, new adoption sentiment media sentiment, everything is just kind of neutral right now and stagnating, um, which is the theme of this week is the calm before the storm. But anyway, okay, uh, network traffic is medium. Mining industry is surging. We had a very big uh, uh, difficulty adjustment last week. And so we will be reporting on that here in a second. Days until the halving, 231 TikTok next block going to the having and my okay so people new to the content as well uh the having the the absolute change to issuance is going to get smaller and smaller but i believe the social aspect of the having is going to get bigger and bigger of an influence um so the ha the having influence on price the having influence on growth and adoption i think will maintain relatively stable maybe slightly down over the decades, but I think that the hype of a fixed supply will grow and grow um, as the issuance difference gets less and less. But okay, so that is having price section, weekly price $26,096. It only changed $45 since the last issue. And that's why I say volatility is dead again. Uh, market cap still holding on to that half a trillion, which I think is miraculous. It has held that very, very well. Um, I said last week that it kind of reminds me of when we were holding the $100 billion market cap line back in 2018, and then the bottom fell out. Uh, they got very, very low volatility, and the bottom fell out. I hope that's not what happens here. I don't think it's going to be what happens here because of our cycle timing, um, but it is definitely reminiscent of that time. Okay. Satoshi's per dollar, 3,829, one Finney. That's my denomination. One ten thousandth of a Bitcoin right smack dab in the middle of the decimal places. That's $2 and 61 cents mining sector. Um, oh man, did I forget to update this? Yes, I did. Uh, the, the, let me get the exact difficulty adjustment. I forgot to update that number. Okay. It, difficulty went up about a week ago, 6.1657%. Uh, 6 6.1% on the last one. And I just forgot to update that number. The next estimated adjustment is negative 6% in about nine days, but we'll see what happens if price does fall here. Uh, this will probably be about the case, maybe even a bigger decline. We've seen big declines in Bitcoin's history, but negative, big negative declines are fairly rare. 
you get a few a year that are even double digits. So, you know, it's not super rare, but it's less rare to be higher by 10% than lower by 10%. Um, but we'll see how that develops over the next week. Mempool is sitting just under 150 megabytes. So that is higher than last week, but, and fees are a little bit higher too, but overall I would call this mempool, um, flat. Like it hasn't changed all that much in the last few weeks. And we'll look at a chart of that as we get down here, lower in the report lightning capacity. Um, it did go up 80 bitcoins on the public lightning capacity, which is almost 2%, but channels dropped over 1%. It's one of the biggest drops in channels that I've seen ever uh, week to week in the Lightning Network. So uh, Lightning's doing fine. It's chugging along. Uh, we'll see how splicing affects adoption. We're going to go over a splicing story there in the Lightning section as we get down there. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm seeing for the statistics. Okay, in case you missed it, uh, this is a Market Pro from two weeks ago for the professional tier. And we have, uh, I put in these couple lives that I did last week. I also prepared another podcast excerpt, but from FedWatch this time, and that should be coming out later today. Um, and then I might get some of those demographics ones out throughout the week as well. But I usually live stream Monday, Wednesday, Friday, as well as Thursday for Bitcoin Magazine um, on a show called FedWatch, where we detail out central banks. And I'm sure this week we'll be um, heavy into the Jackson Hole speech, talking about Powell, talking about all that stuff. Uh, so set your calendars every Thursday at 1230 Eastern is when FedWatch happens. Okay. Um, I did link to last week's. It hasn't come out on podcast version until tomorrow, but uh, you can catch it on YouTube or Rumble, the replay. And my blog post here. I am working on that. The, um, the demographics, I have like two or three in that series kind of planned out. And so those will be coming out over the next week. Hopefully I can get at least one out over the next week. Okay, let's move into headlines. So the quiet before the storm. A very quiet week last week and weekend, then the weekend was not much different. Oh man, I'm already having a typo, guys. Uh, this is authentic Bitcoin content with typos and everything. I'm not a high dollar uh, news outlet with a huge team to edit my, my, my reports. I am a one man show and I have lots of typos. Anyway, um, I've been struggling this morning to compile news stories for Bitcoin not coming up with much other than the waiting game on the ETFs, and we will cover several st other stories. Um, for some reason, this issue will likely, uh, for that reason, this issue or report will be shorter than normal, and I will be able to look at other things tangential to Bitcoin on my live stream. So like last week, I put out demographics. I say last week, I put out a couple demographics live streams. Uh, so these things are tangential to Bitcoin, not Bitcoin completely Bitcoin focused, but I think they're very important for people interested in economics, interested in Bitcoin from a macro perspective. Okay. We thought volatility was back, but wow, we were mistaken. This week, the price is exactly where it was on last week's newsletter. Volatility did not return. It was only a brief flush of liquidations or, you know, a liquidation cascade there. Um, let's take a look at the price chart here real quick. This is the four hour and 
it was just these couple candles here over one day, the 17th of August, that really moved us down. But other than that, if you take out this like two days right here, we've been flat for a couple months, a couple months. All right. Um, that fact of no bounce and no price action, that makes me less confidence in an ETF approval. And I'll go into that more in the price section. Okay, about the demographic live streams last week, um, this topic matches perfectly with other economic topics I discuss. I view the coming era as deflationary, deglobalization, and demographic collapse. I've spent a lot of ink and podcast hours on deflation and deglobalization, but demographics is a major force that is going to lock in this path. Bitcoin will do great in this era because the existing the existing system won't. So the dollar will fail. The credit-based system can't exist in this deflationary deglobalization era. Um, and so the default winner is going to be a sound money, which Bitcoin is sitting there better than gold, right? It's gold 2.0. Um, okay, next story or topic. A big spot ETF decision this Friday. All eyes on Friday's SEC decision. This is the major news of last week and this week. September 1st, we will get the first decision from the SEC on the BlackRock ETF, as well as six others. Delay or approval are the two options. Of course, they could also outright reject it, but I think that's less than a 1% chance. Delay or approve. The markets are saying loud and clear that it will be a delay. We shouldn't be surprised at that outcome. Uh, A delay doesn't mean they won't get approved in October, which is the next date. I think it's like October 11th, I believe, or something like that. Um, It is BlackRock after all, but it does make eventual approval less likely. After a delay, the odds of approval drop below 50%, in my opinion. We will have to watch the tape. Price is all that matters, and the market knows better than all of us. If price rallies throughout September, that would be a sign that approval chances are increasing. I do expect a slight dip on any news of delay, though. So at the end of the week, I do expect a slight dip with the delay. All right, moving on to the next topic. This is the BIP 300 debate. Uh, Bitcoin improvement proposals are the unofficial process for upgrading Bitcoin. A developer proposes a change in plain language and then encode via the Bitcoin mailing list and GitHub. That begins debate on the need for the upgrade, the incentives, the code, the activation mechanism, etc., etc. It is a long process that is not official. Anyone can release a change to Bitcoin node software. And so like if people say, oh, Bitcoin is so slow, Bitcoin can't do this, you know, we want to change Bitcoin, just do it, you know, stop talking and Put it out there. Change the code. The problem is it will be a fork. It will not be Bitcoin. It will be an altcoin. The ultimate test is if the nodes decide to run it. There is no central party saying upgrade now like in Ethereum and all altcoins. For example, there have been upgrades that get nearly 99% agreement on the need for the change, 99% agreement on the code in the change, but there might be a disagreement on the activation mechanism that delays the upgrade for years. The bar for an upgrade is likewise unofficial and undefined. I covered it in the consensus definition 
in the Bitcoin dictionary. So this is out of the Bitcoin dictionary. If you guys want to grab a copy of that, you can at bitcoindictionary.cc. How do I zoom in on this? I'm trying to, it's too big, that's why. Um, okay, so let me try to squint and read this. Um, so there's two types of consensus in Bitcoin. There is the algorithmic consensus and there is a social consensus. So um, I call this second one, a general academic developer or community agreement, a social consensus. Maintaining consensus in the is the fundamental hurdle for distributed systems like Bitcoin. They face unique failure types and attack vectors not applicable to centralized systems. Distributed consensus is also relatively resource intensive and unable to scale as well as centralized models. So that's, you know, it blockchains are inefficient. Decentralization is inefficient. Anytime anybody says that there is efficiency gain from this type of stuff, they're lying to you. There is only one thing that is so beneficial or so valuable that it can sustain the in increased resource cost of decentralization and that's money um, i've said in the past there's a question around perhaps identity online um, and things like that now decentralization can work for uh throughput so like netflix or these streaming services can use decentralized infrastructure to you know have the uh, what what's what's the term i'm looking for like broadcast or throughput of the system increased because it's not coming all from one centralized hub. Um, but that doesn't necessarily have a consensus around it. You know, that is just the dis distribution mechanism for data uh, is decentralized, but okay, let's continue on with this. So severe are the, these problems. It was believed impossible to reach consensus in a distributed asynchronous network prior to Bitcoin. Bitcoin solution called Nakamoto consensus makes consensus probabilistic. Instead of needing a, uni a unanimous deterministic consensus among nodes, a non-deterministic consensus is formed around blocks with a verifiable proof of work requirement, making the consensus state the valid blockchain with the most accumulated difficulty. So it's the valid blockchain with the most difficulty, not just any block or any blockchain with the most difficulty. It must be valid. Um, okay. This allows the network to be open with nodes able to en uh, freely enter and exit, yet maintaining and moving consensus forward. Now, this is the important part for the BIP process here. Okay. Algorithmic and social consensus are often conflated. An algorithmic consensus is designed to be extremely hard or impossible to disrupt, making improvements and iteration to the rules very difficult. The natural inclination is to weaken algorithmic consensus to make it subordinate to a social consensus. And this is what we see in all coins. You know, they pretty much have no algorithmic consensus for the most part. Uh, they've weakened it to the point that their social consensus rules all right. And social consensus is extremely insecure. Anybody can change it. You know, you just get a well-funded attacker that can market and they can change the social consensus. Or you have the top guys in the Ethereum Foundation like Vitalik says we're going this way and Joe Lubin gets on board and then everybody got, everybody does it. So social consensus is uh, highly, highly insecure. But that is the first, because it's so 
hard to make improvements and to uh, have iterations in the code. That is the natural inclination, is to weaken the algorithmic consensus in place of a social consensus, which is much easier to change. Social consensus is a target for social engineering and corruption. Bitcoin has a strong, independent algorithmic consensus shown to be outside the control of any human conspiracy to make incompatible or dangerous changes. The role of the if, of the, the, the the role of a social consensus is still present in Bitcoin, though. Uh, sorry, in Bitcoin through its use in development, but must take place within the boundaries of the protocol rules. When an update to the and so that means you can't hard fork. So let me read that again. Uh, the role of a social consensus is still present in Bitcoin through its use in development, but must take place within the boundaries of the protocol rules. So if you let social consensus take over your protocol rules, you know, you can just change them to fork, do hard fork into a new network. But if you subordinate that um, social consensus to the algorithmic consensus, it must take place within that. So then you, the debate becomes about soft forks, you know, instead of hard forks, you completely take the hard forks off of the board. That's why I say hard forks are impossible in Bitcoin. Okay, an update to the network is proposed. So this is the bit process. An update to the network is proposed. It first goes through a lengthy and rigorous process of peer review. The proposal continues being reviewed and discussed until all criticisms have been adequately answered enough to form a general agreement or consensus. This process often takes multiple years. There is no hard and fast rule for what constitutes, quote, adequately answered, end quote, from above. Typically, it is when the person who raised the criticism is satisfied with the answer or a large majority of people involved in the process are satisfied. So a large people of the peer review process. So let's say there's a thousand people in the world or 10,000 people that are loosely taking part in this peer review of the BIPs. If 99% of them are satisfied, that pretty much means adequately answered or the initial person that put up the criticism is satisfied. But there's no real rule here. It is all by feel. And that, you know, if there's no rule, there there's nothing to game. So you know, the old adage, what, what gets measured gets managed. Well, what has a rule or a set structure will get gamed. And since there is no set structure for this, it doesn't create an attack vector. The attack vector is just that there is nothing, but there really is. And this is what I'm talking about. It's adequately answered, but there is no obvious rule to break or to game. The social type of consensus has been summed up as, quote, the absence of sustained opposition, end quote. So as long as you are an intolerant minority, you can continue this sustained opposition and you know you won't get overruled by some unofficial process. It's extremely secure. Okay, nodes are the final arbiters since they are incentivized to preserve the value of the asset, which is derived from the confidence in and consistency of its protocol rules, nodes are radically resistant to change. So there you go. That is an excerpt from the Bitcoin Dictionary. You guys can get that. That's a, a special way to support the show. It's available on Amazon. But if you go to bitcoindictionary.cc, 
it'll take you there to that listing, at least if the link's not broken. Okay, I'm I'm not concerned about the BIP 300 attack at this point. Perhaps it will grow in the future, but the idea is very old, has never been popular. The developer, Jeff Garzik, is an enemy of Bitcoin, a well-known enemy of Bitcoin, I should put in there. Uh, There's no need for it. And game theory-wise, it only adds uncertainty, which will be bad for the price. So the payoffs are against doing BIP300. So um, in other words, I'm very confident that nodes will reject it. I I don't really have a huge opinion. I I dislike it, but I don't dislike it a lot. I, I don't dislike it enough to really dive in deep because I know the fundamentals of Bitcoin. I know how Bitcoin upgrades, and I don't think this cuts, this is going to meet the bar. It has been a pet project of Paul Stortz for years. It has never gained popularity. I've, I've tried to understand his economics around drive chains years ago, probably five, six years ago, and it never was a holistic idea. It's just like, cobbled together things and you know that's his economic rationale i mean it it shows in that they say oh you can do altcoins on bitcoin that's the need for this is you can do altcoins on bitcoin like that's not a need we don't need that it doesn't make any sense but now paul stortz has been funded apparently he got three million dollars from roger ver that's the latest that i saw on twitter earlier today and so this is a well-funded project to try to change Bitcoin with this BIP 300 attack. I don't think it's going to work. Okay, so that's it for Bitcoin this week. Let's get into the macro headlines. Well, that's it for the, sorry, the Bitcoin headlines or news items. We're going to get into price and mining and lightning here in a second. But um, okay, macro. End of Q3 is coming. Dun, dun, dun. I've been talking about Q3 of 2023 as being a hu- of huge significance for the last year. Seasonally, it is the end of Q3 that sees most economic or financial crises. And I saw as the transitory inflation became evident by this point, so as it became evident that high CPI was not here to stay, that it was going to crash back down and be transitory all along, that we would be in danger of economic conditions continuing to deteriorate on that downslope of CPI. Perhaps as a major bank, uh, with a major bank failure or something. What the trigger is, is less important than the general state of the economy. If the, if the economy is weak, anything could set off a cascading crisis. If the economy were strong, contagion is much less of a concern. High CPI tells us that economic activity is sustainable at a high level. So if CPI goes high and stays high, that means the economy is dealing, it's expanding, it's dealing with it. It's able to create enough credit. uh, It's able to create enough economic activity to maintain rising prices. But that's not the case, okay? The, the, The higher prices did not come from increased economic activity and increased credit creation. The higher prices came from a supply shock, which... Underneath the supply shock is a deterioration of the economy. And then the high prices make it worse. That's how you know transitory. That's how I knew that transitory was 
it, it was transitory all along because it didn't come from booming economy and credit creation. It came from deterioration of the economy with, through a supply shock. So anyway, um, transitory or falling CPI tells us that the economy is tightening its belt or unable to secure economic activity at that level. Therefore, falling CPI is the fragile condition where crises have much more fertile ground. I hope that's clear. So if CPI were booming, there wouldn't be the fertile ground for a financial crisis. There wouldn't be a fertile ground for um, a bank failure, you know, spilling over into contagion, wider contagion in the economy. But as CPI is falling, that tells us that the economy is not doing well. It's deteriorating. And that is more fertile ground for these types of crises. And this happens right around Q3. I mean, something could happen, but let's read the next paragraph. As we progressed towards the end of Q3, I became less convinced that a crisis would happen. I'm not seeing it. Man, there's a lot of damn typos. I'm sorry, guys. I'll go back in and fix those uh, later today. Okay. I'm not seeing it in the charts for the U.S., Yes, times are very tough right now, but no recession on the horizon for now. Because we just looked at, a couple weeks ago, we looked at GDP estimates for uh, Q3, and they were up toward, they're going up towards 6%. Yes, it has to do with imports, exports, and that economic calculus of, or GDP calculus, but you know, to have a recession, to have a major crisis, it's not going to happen when GDP is 6%. Maybe on the backside, but not on the front side. Um, so times are tough, but no recession is on the horizon. However, we do see major signs in China and to a lesser degree in Europe slash Germany. Therefore, I think it is likely that Q3, Q4 of this year could see a crisis in China and that takes about six to 12 months to come to the U.S. So we're going to see contagion from China to the U.S., but that could take up to a year. And that would bring us to end of Q3 in 2024. Again, I'm really into the seasonality stuff because it's uncanny. September, October, that's when all of the crises are. That's when all the flash crashes in the stock exchange are and stuff. Now, I'm not saying that can't happen this year in the U.S., but I think it's less likely, especially when we have GDP pushing up at 6%. Even though that's not a true 6%, it's still high, okay? And I don't think we're going to see the charts and everything are not showing that we're in imminent, uh, some sort of imminent crisis is upon us. Now, if you're talking about China, hell yes, they do. The charts for China say imminent crisis. So we could see something coming from China by the end of the year that will take, you know, another six to 12 months to get to the U.S. Okay, so that is my uh, end of Q3 is coming kind of uh, headline here. The next headline is BRICS are expanding. This was given a lot of airtime this week as BRICS added Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and the UAE. The U.S. dollar 
received most of the bad press, but I think this carries very little monetary significance. The significance it does carry is in a geopolitical order or the coming multipolar world. I predicted that, or I predict that the BRICS ex China, and that's important, ex China. So the BRICS will probably kick out China, I'm thinking. And that's going to happen because of financial crisis leading to maybe aggression uh, towards their neighbors, uh, the CCP having problems and in a downward, downward spiral that will look really bad on the international stage. They'll have to be more um, oppress their people more, you know, maybe even invade either Taiwan or some other country as a patriotic war. So I think they're going to kick China out or China is eventually going looking five, 10 years down the road. I don't think China will be part of the BRICS. Uh, the BRICS will be other countries. So, okay. I predict that the BRICS ex China will become one of the major poles of this new era. However, it will not be able to compete directly with the U.S. as a hegemonic order because the individual countries are almost all enemies. For example, the new entrants, Egypt and Ethiopia, are on the brink of war over the new Ethiopian dam on the Blue Nile. Saudi Arabia and Iran are poles in the Sunni-Shiite struggles. The existing and existing members, India and China, are perennial enemies. This alliance is defined by its opposition to the U.S. order, and when that is over, internal animosities will take over. So here is a image of this new, come on, it's not coming up. This is an image of the new countries that added Argentina down here, a bunch in the Middle East. And I, I think Turkey will join BRICS here sooner or later. Uh, Powell speaks at Jackson Hole. People were expecting some forward guidance from Powell at his Jackson Hole speech. Will the Fed keep raising rates? Do they see the economic troubles that are brewing? Will they keep rates higher for longer, even as the economic situation deteriorates? All of these questions were left unanswered. <laughs> this speech was universally seen as a nothing burger. I took it as confirming what I have been saying for ages. The Fed doesn't do anything. They don't know what they're doing, and they follow. We just have to wait for a dramatic crisis that will force them to act. As so far, the Fed has threaded the needle by rhetorically placing themselves in a place where a soft landing is very possible. And I have a I link to the video of his Jackson Hole speech there. All right, let's get into price analysis. Bitcoin charts. Last week I said, volatility is back, baby, or is it? <laughs> uh, that was a very good question. Uh, volatility is not back. The sell-off on the 17th was a solitary event, it seems. People got ahead of themselves. So far, just more tightness. And if we bring this up, you can see since that 17th sell-off on the 17th, which was 11 days ago now, the big red candle, it has been si perfectly sideways. I mean, we went up $45 in the last week, Monday to Monday newsletters here. So that is extremely, extremely flat. I did not produce a Market Pro newsletter uh, last week because of lack of price action. 
I'll make make up for it this week. Overall, I've dropped, we've dropped below the important moving averages of the 200 day and the 200 week. And I did talk about this on last week's newsletter as well. That alone is enough to convince most people of the bearish break that we're going lower. And if we bring this up, this is the daily with the 50 day and the 200 day. And you can see we're down, we're way down below it. I mean, it's not even, not even close. Uh, this is definitely enough to convince most people of this bearish break. And then this is the weekly with the 200 week. And you can see it's pretty close to the 200 day, actually. Um, it's actually a little bit above the 200 day, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, we're down way below it. Not a good sign. But we are still above the 50 week. Unlike on the daily, that's some bullishness, I guess you could say. We're above the 50 week. All right. However, with the extreme oversold condition that has persisted and some bullish divergences starting to appear, at least a short-term bounce is in order. If that comes prior to the ETFs, that's on Friday, we could see a wild week. So let's look at this divergence. You can see this is the daily chart. ETF uh, RSI got all the way down to 19.50. 0.5, which is very low, very, very oversold. And we have been recovering despite kind of trickling downward on the opens and closes on the price candles. The RSI is trickling upward, which is technically a bullish divergence. Okay. So we can also start to make out a diamond reversal down here, which adds probability to an upward move and here's this diamond pattern it's it's quite common out there in markets i mean people usually watch you know moving averages more they watch triangles uh they watch b bands volatility indicators things like that much more than they would find this pattern uh, but it does give us a glimmer that there could be some bounce about to happen um, we'll see. It, it would have to happen pretty quickly because Friday is this ETF deadline. All right. And here is this just from technical analysis. A diamond pattern is a reversal pattern. Okay. Um, I'll be looking for any bullish move to rip through the 200 period averages and challenge the 50 day this week. If there is any weakness in that move, Expect a big sell-off on the ETF news. So if we don't have a pump, let's go back to this daily. If we don't have a pump here above the 200-day moving average by the end of the week, we could see a major dip on the ETF delay. Maybe that's the sell-off that we need, you know, touching 25,000 or breaking 25,000 just a little bit and then bouncing back up. Maybe that's the sell-off that we need, but we'll see. We'll see how this progresses throughout the week. My Market Pro should be coming out. Um, I might wait off, hold off till Wednesday because let the price develop a little bit more, um, but make sure you subscribe to the professional tier if you want to get that. All right, that's it for price. Let's head on to the mining section. So in mining, I do headlines and uh, different uh, metrics. Headline here is BlackRock is a leader in Bitcoin mining companies. 
and I each of these bullet points will be linked. If there is a story that I'm citing, it's going to be linked in the headline itself in the bullet point. So, indeed, it turns out not only that it, that BlackRock has invested in four of the five largest publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies, but also that it is the second largest shareholder in all four. And I say, wow, BlackRock is all in. Any questions if they were truly serious about Bitcoin or only hedging, this should go a long way to settling that. Um, that being said, this could be also this could also be overstated. BlackRock is a major owner of most stocks, especially most stocks that are leaders in their industry. BlackRock is a major owner. But that statement alone is saying that BlackRock thinks that Bitcoin mining is a legitimate industry, which is a vote of confidence. So it could, you know, we could be overstating that they're all in. Okay, that could be an overstatement. But at least the least is that they are calling it a legitimate industry. So plus, you know, with the spot ETF, um, they're definitely serious about Bitcoin. All right. Laos pulls the plug on crypto mining electricity supply after drought. Laos, I thought this was Lao. I thought the country name was Lao and not Laos. But um, Laos state-owned electricity distribution company, EDL, has announced that it will suspend electricity supply to Bitcoin mining operations in the country, citing various reasons such as the struggle to generate enough power amid drought conditions. I say this is an interesting story because it goes to show that some locations might have good sources of power much of the time, but events like these add uncertainty. Therefore, Bitcoin hash rate will seek out not only the lowest prices, but the lowest and most predictable energy, the lowest prices and the most predictable energy. Because Bitcoin miners don't want to be cut off like this. Anyway, so let's continue with the mining section here, difficulty and hash rate. Bitcoin's difficulty adjusted plus 6% last week to reach a new all-time high. And let's look at this. You see right over here, got above this 55T, whatever measurement. I don't know what that measurement is. But it is an all-time high. Uh, despite the price situation, this is a huge vote of confidence from the people in the ecosystem with the deepest, widest expo exposure to major economic forces. Since this jump in difficulty, hash rate uh, has slowed. Oh, man. Since this jump in difficulty, hash rate has slowed. There we go. Sorry. The next adjustment is estimated to be negative 6% in nine days. So after we got a positive 6%, we're going to get a negative 6% in nine days. We will see how that develops. Mempool. Mempool is extremely stable again this week. The network traffic is at the perfect clearing pace. Where the number of new transactions is maintaining the size of the mempool, but not making it grow. In fact, in the last few hours, the mempool has ever so slightly declined in the dark blue fee group on the chart below. And let's pull this up. So this dark blue is a range of fees. The pink is the cheapest, like one Satoshi per byte. Um, then it goes up to maybe like two to five, five to 10, uh, 10 to 20, whatever. So this dark blue section 
uh, is actually starting to get eaten through a little bit. So that's very interesting, even though we have a spike uh, over the last couple hours. But mempool is very stable, as you can see. All right, that's it for mining. Let's get into lightning and layer two. So Blockstream's core lightning, inter oh, sorry, core lightning, that's their lightning node implementation. They integrate splicing feature. Splicing is the new cool lightning network upgrade, and it's starting to get implemented into node software. This is a necessary improvement for mass adoption, adoption, but not sufficient. So it's necessary, but not sufficient. Splicing is expected to tackle a persistent challenge within the Lightning Network, liquidity constraints. These constraints have long been cited as a barrier to widespread adoption, impending, uh, sorry, impeding the seamless flow of transactions. With splicing, Blockstream aims to alleviate these liquidity challenges, ultimately leading to more affordable and reliable transactions for Lightning users. So it's a big update. Splicing will get integrated into everything, and that allows for, you know, very easy balancing of channels. And I think, like I say, this is a necessary improvement, um, but it's still not sufficient to get us to where we need to go. But perhaps this next story is, when I saw this in research for this report, I was like, wow, this is a great, very good idea that could lead to major, major improvements in the Lightning Network in a very short period of time. So I say this is a very good, oh, the headline is, forget about Bitcoin ETFs, let's make a Lightning Fund. This is a very good idea. It implements the idea by Nick Batia of a risk-free rate in Bitcoin. Large funds could hold their Bitcoin in Lightning infrastructure, not only provide liquidity for adoption, but earning fees for their clients. It's brilliant. Hope to see the first application soon. So this is a quote from the article. A lightning fund would allow investors to gain exposure to not only Bitcoin's price, but also its emergent and growing utility as a medium of exchange. In practice, a lightning fund would consist of investors purchasing shares of Bitcoin that are held in a lightning capable infrastructure. Fund managers could strategically deploy the Bitcoin held within the fund into various lightning channels. Node operators are already familiar with the process of deploying Bitcoin in lightning channels. The fees generated from supplying and maintaining the ledger more than pay for the costs of converting on-chain Bitcoin to lightning channels and back. So these funds would be big investment vehicles that would seed the lightning network with millions or billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin in Lightning channels with liquidity. Now, this would be hub and spoke sort of deal. Um, but it's the idea. This idea is extremely fascinating to me. And I think this could be something that we talk about more and more over the next year or two. Uh, Bitcoin spot ETFs, I think we'll probably see one by the end of 2024. Maybe not the end of 2023, but the end of 2024. But if we see a lightning fund, maybe also by the end of 2024 or by the end of 2025, that would be extremely a huge thing for the Bitcoin space. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. That is it for this week's newsletter, guys. Check out BitcoinandMarkets.com. Make sure you are subscribed uh, so you can get it weekly in your inbox every Monday. And 
I am streaming on YouTube, Rumble, Twitter, and Telegram. You can check out the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Uh, check out my bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash find dash us uh, page to find links to all the places that uh, I put my podcasts out, to places that I live stream, things like that. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining me. Hope you have a great start to your week. And I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye. Bye.